to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. All that is wrong, all that is hurtful, all that is painful, all that is deadly, all of the negative from human behavior toward one another to just what we see in the the creation itself, it's all related back to the same thing. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, in a message titled, Cursed is the Earth. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Verse 16, as we pick up, of course, God is speaking at this point. He's already pronounced judgment upon the serpent from verse 14. But then in verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desires shall be for your husband, and he shall reign over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. These verses describe the judgment that came upon man and all of creation as a result of the fall. As we've said before, and we need to say again, the world we see today, and really, the world that man, apart from Adam and Eve, has always known is not the world that God intended. It is a world that man ruined and continues to ruin through sin. It is a world that, as Paul described in Romans 8, it's a world that groans and travails, longing to be delivered from what Paul referred to as the bondage of corruption or the bondage of decay. Henry Morrison commenting on just the overall subject of the curse, he said, it is universal experience that all things, living or non-living, eventually wear out, run down, grow old, decay, and pass into the dust. This condition is so universal that it was formalized into a fundamental scientific law now called the second law of thermodynamics. This law states that all systems, if left to themselves, tend to become degraded or disordered. Physical systems, whether clocks or suns, eventually 
wear out. Organisms grow old and die. Instead of all things being organized into complex systems as they were in creation week, they are now being unmade, becoming disorganized and simple. Instead of life and growth, there is decay and death. Instead of evolution, there is disintegration. So in these verses is really the secret to all that is wrong in the world. And all that is wrong in the world is related back to this fundamental truth that man is a sinner and has brought God's curse upon the earth. So let's look at God's judgment and how God's judgment affected both man and the rest of the created order. So God, having passed from dealing with the serpent, and we looked at that fairly extensively, he comes now to the woman. And he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, and probably a better translation is your travail rather than your conception. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your travail. Now, it really is difficult for women living in lands like our land that has been influenced greatly by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to realize the miseries that women suffer in pagan lands the lot or the plight of women in lands outside of those lands that have been influenced by the gospel really fare little better than cattle. And you could go across the board and look at the various nations where different types of religious systems are intact, whether it be Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever else you want to find, and you will see that the plight of women is considerably different than it is for women in the Western world. And the Western world, of course, has the difference because of the impact of Christianity in the West. But this is what God declared, that there would be a multiplying of sorrow and travail for the woman. And then he said, in pain you shall bring forth children. Now, of course, Eve had not yet conceived a child. Cain was not born until after the fall. But God declares that childbearing is going to be a painful experience. It seems to be that all other creatures bear their young relatively painlessly. But interestingly not with women. The tremendous amount of suffering that women experience in childbirth is, again, directly related back to sin and back to the curse. And and in some sense, it's to be a reminder to us. You know, God has left us many things that are reminders. We we tend to, as, as human beings, I think we tend to try to erase as much of that as we can and get as far away from those kinds of things as, 
as we can possibly get, but the Lord has those ways of reminding us about these kinds of things. And so travail and pain in childbirth. But then he goes on to say this, your desire shall be toward your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, there have been many different opinions on just what God meant by this. I read an excerpt from a theological journal, and the article on this particular passage happened to be written by a woman. And I think she really got close to what it is that God is declaring here. And this is what she said. I want to quote from that article. The woman has the same sort of desire for her husband that sin has for Cain. Now, as we go into chapter 4, verse 7, God is going to be speaking to Cain. And of course, this is later in the history, but we're all aware that that did happen. So God is speaking to Cain, and he says that sin is crouching at the door, and sin's desire is to overcome you, but you should overcome it. Now, the same Hebrew wording is found in both places. So the woman sees a parallel. And she says, the woman, Eve and all other women, have the same sort of desire for their husband that sin has for Cain, a desire to possess or control him. This desire disputes the headship of the husband. As the Lord tells Cain what he should do, which is master or rule sin, The Lord also states what the husband should do, and that is rule over his wife. The words of the Lord in Genesis 3.16, as in the case of the battle between sin and Cain, do not determine the victor of the conflict between the husband and the wife. These words mark the beginning of the battle of the sexes. As a result of the fall, Man no longer rules easily. He must fight for his headship. Now, remember, a woman is saying this. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can. So the rule of love founded in paradise, the original plan... The rule of love founded in paradise is replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. Now, of course, this is all sorted out as husbands follow the biblical instruction, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. We talked in depth about that. Wives following the biblical instruction to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord that battle between the sexes is dealt with and sorted out as we submit our lives mutually to the Lordship of Christ. But outside of Jesus Christ, this is the conflict that goes on in the world to the present hour. It is a battle of the sexes. And as she states here, the woman's desire is to control her husband. So, to the man, God now Speaking to Adam, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So this is where God pronounces a curse. Cursed is the ground. The same word for ground is, is the, it's the same word for earth. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the earth. And really, we know that the curse has extended all the way out into the farthest reaches of the material universe. For Paul tells us, as we referred to earlier, that all of creation groans and travails. So not just earth or plant life or animal life or or even human life, but he says all of creation extending out. And of course, that second law of thermodynamics where we see everything in the process of entropy, everything is uh, slowly but surely disintegrating. They see that out in the farthest uh, reaches of the universe as well. But cursed is the ground or the earth in toil. So originally, God placed Adam in the garden to tend to the garden. But now, the earth is not going to easily yield fruit as it would have naturally done before. And so man is going to be consigned really to hard labor all of his life. He's going to have to toil. He's going to have to work hard in order for the ground to produce what it previously would have just almost naturally produced And then he says, thorns and thistles are going to spring forth. Now, the question arises, some have wondered, well, you know, what happened at this time? Did did God create thorns and thistles? Uh, What about the animals? What about the animals that were originally herbivores, but yet uh, became carnivorous? What about the animals whose, you know, who, who appear through their fangs and their claws and things? They appear to have been made to be carnivores. So, you know, what has happened there? Did God, you know, create the thorns and the thistles? Did God do something fresh with the animals that caused a change in their structure to some degree? And those who are scientifically oriented and have thought about these things have concluded that it was probably more of a God allowed um, a mutation process to begin. And mutations are, generally speaking, always negative. And so through this mutation of the various plants, they started to, to bring forth thorns and thistles and, and weeds and poisonous kinds of things that were not originally there, but because of a corruption through the mutation in the DNA, now they have, they have become harmful instead of helpful. And so perhaps with the animals too, perhaps there was something in their system that was then as the deterioration process began that triggered this alteration and ultimately produced these different kinds of features and characteristics that lent themselves more to the creatures becoming uh, carnivorous. Might, might be the case. We don't really know. But those kinds of things, wherever we find death, 
wherever we find disintegration, decay, wherever we find it, this is what we know. We know that it's all connected back to this event. So, you know, the mechanics of it are just exactly how it all worked itself into the present state. Nobody really knows but God. But it did. And the culmination of everything is found here in verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so the ultimate manifestation or the final, the final stage in the process of corruption, decay, the final stage is, is death. And now man is sentenced to returning back to the earth from which he came. And of course, that is exactly what happens. We die and we go back into the earth. Our bodies over a process of time decompose and go back into the dust. But all that is wrong, all that is hurtful, all that is painful, all that is deadly, all of the negative from human behavior toward one another to just what we see in the the creation itself, it's all related back to the same thing. You know, two great questions universally asked questions, perplexing philosophical questions are, number one, why is man seemingly more inclined toward evil than he is toward good? And why do all people die? And the philosophers, right down to the very most current philosopher, no one has ever really been able to give a conclusive answer to either one of those questions. The realm of philosophy is full tonight of a variety of opinions and debates over those questions. The Bible gives an absolute, clear-cut, conclusive answer that men are more inclined toward evil because they are born into sin and that everybody dies because... Sin has brought about death. You know, the Bible really does have the best answer. It's a simple answer, and therefore some people reject it because they feel it's too simple. Oh, well, that's, that's too easy. Why does it have to be any more complicated than that? And when you get into the realm of philosophy, you find very complicated arguments, but at the end, they don't mean anything. They don't really say anything. They don't take you anywhere. They don't answer any questions. That's why most modern, or many modern philosophers, that's why they have despaired of ever finding an answer to anything and just sort of given up and said, nothing means anything. But the Bible gives us this this clear statement regarding why things are the way they are. And, And I believe, as we mentioned previously, I believe that when we talk to people and when people are puzzled or troubled or upset over the current 
state of affairs in regard to suffering, in regard to catastrophe, in regard to disease and all of those things, I believe the first thing we should let them know when we start a conversation with them is this is not the way it was intended to be, and this is not the way it originally was. And then explain to them why things are the way they are. But of course, then we have the, the other side of it, which is God has done something about it, and he's going to ultimately reverse this whole process. The world is a world full of suffering. And again, I have to say that under our form of government and the society that we have developed You know, one of the things that we have done a a very good job at is eliminating suffering. Not to say that we don't suffer still. Of course, we can't totally eliminate it. But by and large, comparatively to the rest of the world, we just don't know a whole lot about suffering. I mean, you know, we think we're suffering, but, but are we really suffering in compared to how most people even today uh, still experience life in this world and, and what people have experienced throughout most of history. Now, what are the results of Adam's sin for, for mankind in, in general? Paul, in writing his letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter, beginning in the 12th verse, Paul goes back And he begins to talk about what happened here at this time. We've all heard of the doctrine of original sin. I know that when I was a kid uh, growing up in Roman Catholicism, if they drilled anything into you, they drilled into you that you were a sinner. And they, they, we had a very clear understanding of this idea of original sin. We were born into sin And, of course, that's why we needed to have a baptism as infants to get ourselves cleansed from that original sin. But the term original sin is, in a sense, it's a biblical term. Because what it's describing is what happened to us as a result of what Adam did. And and that's what Paul talks about in the fifth chapter of Romans, if you want to flip over there in your Bible. Let's take a look at it for a moment. In the 12th verse, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, what Paul is is teaching here in this fifth chapter, and what he's telling us about what happened back in the garden and what happened back when man originally sinned, he is telling us that Adam was acting as what theologians would call a federal head. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource, 
I want to tell you about a really fun book that I stumbled across recently. It's by Andrew Wilson, and it's a book called God of All Things, subtitle, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World. And the cover of the book kind of says it all. There's a bird, there's a pig, there's a tree, there's a flower, there's a salt shaker, a loaf of bread, a fish, there's rain. And Andrew does an amazing job of just looking at all of these common things around us and seeing different aspects of who God is and what he's done through those things. So I used it for a devotional time. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend Andrew Wilson's God of All Things. Again, this month's resource is a book titled God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. You can order the book God of All Things by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God of All Things by Andrew Wilson, to help you discover God is in the everyday things of life. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.